Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And last week, if you don't know, we're going through a series from the book of Romans. And so if you're here visiting with us today, I know we have quite a few visitors because of our um, associate members. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, And we're continuing um, in the series that we've been in. And so last week we looked at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. This week we're going to look at verses 19 through 25. And I remind you what I told you last week. And if you want to go listen to that again, you can. but, But we all desperately need the gospel. That's what we said last week. Today we're going to see we all desperately need the gospel, part two. Because the truth is exactly the same. And we're going to see that as we come to the passage today. And let me just remind you a little bit from last week, um, just so we're all on the same page. We all desperately need the gospel. What, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus. That Jesus lived the perfect life. That Jesus died for our sin. That Jesus rose again. That Jesus is exalted as Lord and Savior. And and as he is, he gives repentance and forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe in him. And he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and sanctification in this life. It's not just a, you're saved, therefore now go figure it out. He gives this sanctification, this, this growth in following him in this life. And that is the good news, because we can't do those things on our own. And he continued, we we, we saw last week that God in his wisdom and mercy and love and care, in his compassion, he made a way to save the unrighteous and to make them righteous. And he does that by imputing, that is by, by putting in us something which was not natural to us. Jesus took our sin and then gave us his righteousness. We also saw um, that last week, if, you look at, if you've looked down at verse 18 yet, you've probably seen, uh, last week we, we talked about the wrath of God. And we saw that the wrath of God is different from what we think of as wrath. It's not the kind of fly off the handle, um, uncontrolled anger. When we think of wrath, that's kind of what we think of. It's not that. It actually flows from God's completely holy, just, right, truth-filled character. It comes as a direct result of who he is. And so then we saw that to minimize the wrath of God, when we do that, we miss the magnitude and importance of the love of God and the grace of God given to his children in the gospel. And I say all that, I set all that up, And now I want to give you a little more background to to the passage that we're looking at here. Because Paul, who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, according to his own testimony in Acts, in um, several places in Acts, as well as in the letters of his letters written in the New Testament, there are a lot of them, Paul was a Jew who was, he was a Jew in Jesus' day who hated Jesus and who hated the followers of Jesus. We know from his own testimony that he was a religious zealot, that he was able to check many boxes within that Jewish orthodoxy, so to speak. He could say, yep, I did that right, I did that well, I did that well, I did that well. 
And yet suddenly, all of a sudden, when he comes face to face with the risen Jesus, he realizes that all those things, that he was being born as a Jew, all these things he had done, meant nothing. Now there's some difference of opinion on, on what the Jews in Jesus' day believed, but, but Paul demonstrates in biblical context indicates that they believed that their works and their ethnicity made them right before God. Most of them failed to understand that it was only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that they would be saved. In, in the Old Testament, it's pointing forward to Jesus to come, but most in, in Paul's day were failing to understand that. And so Paul, because of who he is, because of where he was, because of when he was living, because of his own experience of receiving God's mercy, Paul anticipated the question that he seems to be answering in verses 19 through 25. We have already said we all desperately need the gospel because the wrath of God exists, but, but the question that he seems to be answering next is, how is the wrath of God just? Well, he answers it simply and then expounds on it. Um, it's just, as we saw last week, because it's what we all deserve. Remember, he's primarily writing in chapter 1 to Gentiles. Um, that is, uh, to, to those that are not the Jewish people. But he gives hints that he's also writing to the good religious people as well. And if you don't see that here, he's going to make it abundantly clear when we get to chapter 2. But the point is, is that in answering this question, Paul is saying it, the, the answer begins with, we all deserve the wrath. We all deserve to live and suffer in the brokenness of this world, but also in complete separation from God and therefore misery forever. We don't deserve the new heavens and the new earth and, and things to be restored. We don't deserve that. We deserve separation from that, separation from God. Thankfully, we know that God did not leave us those who would be his people in that situation. And we're going to keep coming back to that, but I want to go to this question now. How can we say that all deserve wrath? We answer that by looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Romans 1, beginning in verse 19, and I remind you that this is God's word. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So we're going to break this passage down in two ways. First, 
We saw last week that, well, let me just, just skip that. First, Paul gives three reasons um, for the wrath of God here and why, why it is just. And we see these three reasons in the passage, each of them starting with the transition word for, or depending on your translation, it might say since. And so we see that in this passage um, broken out. And so the, the first thing is we'll see those three reasons. And then the second thing is we'll see the result. And that starts in verse 24 with the therefore. So the, the three reasons that the wrath of God is just. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. First reason the wrath of God is just is because what can be known about God is plain to them. That's what he shows us. God has shown it to them. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's probably not going to convince you. That's not the goal right now. God, Paul is saying, though, that it is the reason we're without excuse. God has shown it to us. To suggest that, that God has not made it plain is to do what he talked about in verse 18, and that is to suppress the truth. Now, our world around us teaches us, it teaches us that the Christian worldview is suppressing the truth. Does it not? The world says the Christian worldview is suppressing the truth. That those who trust in Jesus are blinded to things as they really are. But Paul is showing us that it's actually man, mankind, man and woman, in our natural sinful state, it's actually us that are suppressing the truth. That the man in his natural state, because God has shown the truth, and we, because we are sinful, because we have brokenness, because we want to worship our autonomy, because we want control of our agendas, we therefore don't want to see the truth. So mankind lives in denial of the truth. Denial of the truth that God has shown and made plain to us. And Paul goes on to say that the reason everyone should know better, the reason everyone is without excuse, is that there's enough revealed about God in creation of the world to make him known. That's what he lays out here. This is the second four in the passage, the second reason the wrath of God is just. Some attributes of God have been evident from the beginning. Look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what's Paul doing here? Paul's showing us that we all know, regardless of what we tell ourselves, we all have this, this thing within us that, that demonstrates that there is a creator. There is one on whom we are utterly dependent and to whom we are accountable. The Bible shows us over and over again that creation reveals who God is. One example of that is from Psalm 104. Mark read it as parts of it as the call to worship earlier. Um, but let me just give you a couple highlights. I'm not going to go back and read it, but a couple highlights. How do we know there's a creator? Well, there are springs to give water to every beast of the field. God calls it, it says, the creator causes the grass to grow for the livestock he created. He gave plants for man to cultivate. He gave, he, he gave that so that their food might be brought forth from the earth. 
There was wine given to gladden the heart of man. There was oil to make his face shine. There was bread to strengthen him. He gave trees for the birds to live in. He gave mountains for the goats to, to, to live on. He gave rocks for the rock badgers. There's a lot of detail here, right? Why is that? Because he's showing that all of this displays who God is. He gave moon to mark the seasons. He gave food for the young lions. And then in verse 27, it says, you made it all and everything looks to you to give food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up and are filled. But when you don't give it to them, they are dismayed. Why? Because everything comes from God. So if God's not giving it, we don't have it. We may not acknowledge that. We may suppress the truth. But that's what God's word teaches. We call this, the theological point of this, is that is general revelation. Right? Verse 20, again, they are without it. It says, therefore, because God has shown himself in these ways, his invisible attributes, that eternal power and divine nature, because he's showed the, shown those things, Creation is, provides sufficient knowledge, sufficient knowledge to make us accountable for our ungodliness and unrighteousness. That is our trying to live without him. And then as we try to live without him, we are also then living in unrighteousness and causing sin and misery in our own lives and to those around us, right? Creation provides significant, uh, sufficient enough knowledge to make us accountable for those things. Creation does not provide, however, let me not make a mistake on this. It does not provide sufficient knowledge to save us. For that, to be wise unto salvation, we need what is called the theological term special revelation. Where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and showing us the desperate need we have for the gospel. The fact that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the fact that we all deserve this wrath of God. And, we, and God takes that. And he says, all that is true. But because of what Jesus has done, you could be my beloved children. And there's implications of what that looks like that we'll talk about in a minute. Paul goes on, though. His next four shows us this very point by demonstrating what happens when we don't have special revelation. So we've only had the general revelation. We don't have the special revelation yet. Here's what happens. It says, they, even though they knew God, for verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. General Revelation, he says they knew God. But they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Commenting on this passage, pastor, um, author Tim Keller says, every human knows God. But no human glorifies God or gives thanks, gives thanks to him because we take what God has made and we pass it off as our own. Refusing to honor God as God, refusing to treat God alone as God, we live in dependence on him, 
or, or we don't live on dependent, independence on him. We don't live in gratitude to him. And therefore, our foolish hearts become darkened. We turn to ourselves. We turn to our own proud achievements. We turn to our own, our own devotion. We even turn to our own ability to do things right. What we ought to say is, God, you are amazing. Oh, Lord, my God, how great thou art. We were just singing a moment ago. Instead, we're either just silent about him or we make up some things to fill his place. This week, it's kind of funny how God works because I did not plan to be preaching on this passage and then to also be chaperoning a field trip, a fourth grade field trip to the Telus Science Museum this week. Okay, I enjoy the place. I think, it's, I think, I think there's a lot of good in it, right? Um, I like science. I like history. So I, I love that. But when I'm there and I'm, I'm, I'm at Telus Science Museum and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, look at God's handiwork all over these things, right? Well, we had a, a gentleman who was our chaperone. He was a, an older gentleman, retired teacher. He was really good with the kids, very gentle with them, um, very kind to them, was letting them talk. He was, he was encouraging them to ask questions. Now, after what I'm about to tell you, he got pretty quiet after that or didn't really ask for any more. Um, but he, he, was, he was talking about um, science and, and history, and he was talking about how, man, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing all this stuff that man has done? Isn't it amazing all these things that man's wisdom and man's mind has come up with? And one of the little boys raises his hand. He said, like, yeah, buddy, what, what do you want to say? And he was, he was kind of excited. And the little boy goes, it is so cool that God created all these things and God gave man the ability to do these things and God is the one who did all this. Mm-hmm. You know what his response was? Other than I think he wanted to run and hide. <laughs> his response was, yeah, Mother Nature's pretty neat, isn't it? And then he was pretty quiet and changed the subject. Y'all, that's what we're talking about here. And I don't say this in judgment of that man. My heart broke for him. Because the best he has to offer at all this that is going on, of all this that he sees, the best he has to offer is made up Mother Nature. A result of our defiance, we see it right here, is we become futile in thinking. Our foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, we become fools and exchange the glory of God for images. That's what it says in verse 22 and 23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. We claim to be wise. We claim to be independent. We claim to be God ourselves because we like the illusion of being in charge. 
of being able to do what we want to do, think what we want to think without any consequences. But what happens when we do that? Our hearts are constantly restless. St. Augustine commenting on this, and I admit that this is not a direct quote of St. Augustine because somewhere in there I put something on um, just that I was thinking. So I think it's right in the middle. I just want to be honest with you, okay? But in in general, the the gist of it is still there, I promise. (laughs) If you really want it, I'll find it and send you the direct, direct quote after. But it was very close to this. The restlessness of the human heart is due to suppressing the truth about God who is the only place where we can find rest. So we cannot find rest anywhere until we find our rest in him. But later, commenting on this same thing, pastor theologian Cornelius Van Til, he spoke of the fact that because we were created in the image of God, We were created with this need to worship something. But when we take God out of that place, our hearts will just be restless. There's only one who can fill that place and fill it in a way that brings rest to our souls. And that is the God. But we keep trying, don't we? We don't stop worshiping. We just change the object of our worship. That's the result, point two. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What is God's judgment on ungodliness and unrighteousness? Where do we start to see it? Is that God gives mankind what we want. That's the result. That's the therefore. And God is perfectly just to give us what he wants what we want. When God gives us what we want, he pulls back his hand of mercy and his hand of grace from us. And that is the picture of his wrath. A lot of times you'll hear kids, not just little kids, but adult kids, right? Um, You'll hear kids saying, we all might say, I want what I deserve. Paul's saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because if God lets you have what you want, what you think you deserve, or if he let, not what you think you deserve, if he lets you have what you deserve, there's misery in that. There's sadness in that. Because here's what it looks like. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, the lust in our hearts for impurity. This lust word here is sinful desires, It's the epithume, the the over-desire. It's an all-controlling desire and longing. 
trying to fill the hole left by God with anything other than God himself. And when that happens, Paul says, God will ultimately give mankind over to that. That day will come. Thankfully, he's gracious now. And that day has not come. And we as followers of Jesus get to be a part of seeing his kingdom here on earth being made known. Of, of telling people about Jesus, of demonstrating the message of the gospel, of working these things out so that we can see God's love and mercy. His hand has not been withdrawn from here fully. Because when it does, though, when, it, when, when we continue down this road, God giving mankind over to it, that's where we see dishonoring bodies among selves because... We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served the creation rather than the creator. You might ask, well, yeah, but some people just choose not to worship at all. Let me, let me tell you two reasons that's not true. First of all, if you study sociology and you study anthropology and you go back and you look at all these, these religions of the world, all these cultures, all these things, in every one of them there is some aspect of worship of something, worship of someone. Every one of them. And you think, yeah, but, but the atheist doesn't believe there's a God, so, so they don't worship anything. Yeah, yeah, they do. We talked about it last week. An atheist worships the fact that they, in their wisdom, they have determined that there is no God. That is still worship of something. It is worship of man-made knowledge. We all worship something. We as followers of Jesus, we're not immune to that either, right? We still wrestle with that in our lives. Because anything... Anything that captures our allegiance is the thing we worship. The thing that we think, I cannot live without, I cannot be happy without this or satisfied without this, that has become the focus of my worship. And so as followers of Jesus, it's important for us to understand that we still battle with this too. This isn't just a passage that's about people who don't know Jesus. We still battle with this in our own hearts. And, and regularly, daily, we need to say, Lord, what is becoming more important to me than my desperate need for you? And that's something we can repent of regularly and keep asking him, Lord, Help me to turn back to you again and again. And here's why. Let me, let me, I was, this week I was, I spoke at youth um, for, our, for our middle school and high school students. And it was kind of last minute because Andrew was pretty sick. Thank God I see him today. That's good. I'm glad he's back. Um, he's doing a lot better. But he asked me to speak. And I'm like, yeah, sure. What are you, what, what's the passage this week? And he said, Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. I'm not going to go there and read it. Let me give you a quick paraphrase. It's the section where Paul's going, that thing I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. As Paul's like, you know, all his run-on sentences, he goes, that thing I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing, and I don't want to do it, but I do it, but I do it. And he just kind of keeps going on and on and on, and he's frustrated, and he gets to the end of it, and he goes, 
Who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And the reason it was interesting that that was the passage this week, as I'm thinking about this passage today, is that when I think about those whose foolish hearts have been darkened, when I came to that passage in Romans 7 that I just talked to you about, I was a freshman in high school, I mean in, in college. And at that moment in my walk with Jesus, I was an arrogant jerk. I didn't know it. But if I could look at the people who were living not knowing the love of Jesus Christ and anything poured out of me other than deep compassion and care and desire to do everything I could to walk alongside them, to show them what God was doing, to point them to the love of Jesus and to have compassion in that. If I was looking at them and like, yep, you got what you deserved, then I wasn't really getting the message of the gospel. But the message of the gospel, it frees us to see that. And as followers of Jesus to say, first, Lord, show me what I'm worshiping other than you. And Lord, fill my heart with gratitude for who you are and what you've done and help me to follow in obedience to you as a result. Second, Lord, I commit, I submit my life to you so that as I walk in your kingdom on this earth, his kingdom is already now and it's not yet, we'll see it fully in the new heavens and the new earth, but as I walk in that, may I, Lord, then have compassion. May I, Lord, come alongside others and be a part of seeing your love made known in demonstration and in words of the gospel. And I'm going to just ask, there's, there's 12 of you in this room, or will be in a moment, I think you're all in here now, that are going to come up for associate membership in a moment. Don't come yet. But I just want you to look up at me for a minute. What we're talking about this morning is extremely important for you. We've talked about it for six weeks in a class, right? But this morning, what you're coming and saying is that I know it's not because of the family I was born in. I know it's not because I've done a lot of good stuff. It's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that I'm coming to say I put my hope and my trust in him. But I also want to encourage you and I want to encourage us as a church family that we continue to be praying for these students because we all know, right? Things don't get easier the day we come and say, I'm trusting in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We need him to continue to work in, in our hearts. We need him to continue to work in their hearts 
to complete the work that had began in them. And so what I want to do, um, they're going to come up in a moment, but I want to ask all of you for just a minute. I'm just going to pause, and I want you to take a moment and to ask the Lord to show you anything that you are worshiping, you are putting, trying to fill that place in your heart with, other than the creator, the God over all creation, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if he shows you that, I want to ask you just silently before him to repent of that. Because after we introduce these associate members, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We want to be in a place coming to receive and respond um, to what he has done. So take a few moments, and then I'll, um, I'll bring the associate members up in just a moment. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.